This is Memorial Day weekend. I had the honor of speaking about a year ago with Colonel Glenn D. Frazier, Philippine Baton Death March. For the Japanese? Yeah. Well, they, it was designated by, I think, the American people as a death march because what happened is uh, we, we were ordered to surrender and take and go to a certain designated place, and we went there. And we didn't, we didn't know their language, we didn't know what to expect, and so forth. And we did ta- tear up everything we could. We, tur- we shot the engines and cars and trucks and so forth. And here they come, the 14th Army, and they had to, it was a staging area to take Cregador. They had to close the campaign for the Philippines, and that's what they were after, to close it and get it over with the fastest they could because General Homer was under attack from his own people in, in the war headquarters up in uh, Japan. They couldn't go to Australia until they got to the Philippines. So they had to, uh, all right, so we got back in there, and they didn't know how many men and women, I mean men and uh, nurses and all and people that we had. And here's this something like 60,000, 65,000 American and, Japanese, and Filipino soldiers and some about 30, 38,000 old men, women, and children back in there in the war zone. And they, they, they had to set up for getting the staging area to take Cregador as quickly as possible. So they said, march them, get them out of here. So we, we had, to, had to walk. I walked 90 miles, uh, approximately 90 miles total. I took me six days and seven nights. And when I got to the end, I had no water, I had no food, and I got to the end, uh, my, I couldn't pick up my feet, and my tongue was starting to start to swell. And you know what that means. You're close to, uh, uh, well, so most of all, you couldn't stand up very good. If you fell down, they shot you or bayoneted you. And I managed to make it to the railroad station where we went in six days and seven nights. And, and that's, uh, I, I was just... One step away from being dead. You mean they if I'd have fell they, down? I would have been dead. They didn't even allow you to rest at night. No, there it was no six rest, days straight. No water, no food, or no nothing. And the Filipino people along the route and the villages that we passed through, they would try to throw us some um, sugar cakes, what we call sugar cakes. It was made out of cane sugar, and if you caught any of those, they killed you immediately. If you stoop, stoop down to pick up one, they killed you. If you too reached over to touch and help you, you, you fell a man, an American, if he was given out, I was given, and they, they'd shoot both of our bayonet, both of you, they'd kill you. And they didn't, uh, they didn't tolerate any. It was zero tolerance. And, and they got pleasure out of it. Well, you can look at it from another standpoint. Uh, here we were, we were in the Philippines, and they came in and, Fight to fighting us, uh, fighting us, and we stopped them. We 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 fought them for four months. They had plans to take us in two months, but we were stubborn and we we fought them. And they were mad, and they we denied them of uh, their whole plan to go to Australia. We denied them of capturing MacArthur. So they were mad, and they and they had a free hand to treat us any way they wanted to. And they did. How many survivors are there besides you, uh, Glenn? Uh, you're 86 you years old. Yeah. Best count we can get is less than 50. So you're... Now, there are some people from Craigador that they count them as, as, as battalion death marches, but there's not. 
we can't get it. We, without the help of the government, we can't get a count. And I, they're, not, they're not interested in giving you a count. How many started and how many lived? Uh, 15,000 Americans were captured. We lost 3,000 on the march. That's around figures. 2,500 more died at the first camp, which was Camp O'Donnell. And then they scattered us out all over Asia and everything else. And at the end of the war, and the, title, the total number coming back was 4,000. We lost 11,000 men, Americans. And that's the highest loss of any in during World War II, I understand. Now, you titled your book Hell's Guest. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. How did you come on that? How did I get it? What? Well, when I got to Japan, when we got to Japan in 1942, they said we were guests of the emperor. Well, you know, I come from a part of the country where if you've got a guest, you try to treat them halfway decent. Well, we were treated worse than animals. And uh, so it was hell all the way. And uh, I had pneumonia twice. I had, it was not very bad the first time and the second time. And I got a lot of medicine. I got one aspirin and still made it. Uh, I had a tooth pulled without that. Uh, you know, I had any deadening at all, a wisdom tooth. And it knocked my jaw out of joint. And they kicked it back in with the, with the boots six hours later. I mean, you know, uh, it goes on. I was beat. I was uh, bayoneted for, for not goose-stepping. I was up for execution, and I talked my way out of it. I never saw anybody or heard of anybody ever doing it besides me. And I, they put me in solitary confinement for seven days and seven nights with one little bit of water and one rice ball, and that nearly killed me. When I got out, the guard that took me out, he beat me and hit me in the back of the head with a rifle butt, and he hoped to kill me. And he didn't, and uh, I crawl. Every time I crawl, he kicked me. And uh, I, I actually, he broke three ribs on my right side, two on the left side. I mean, you know, these are just some everyday occurrences. It was not unusual for the guards to take over the new guards. Every two weeks, they changed guards. These people were people, uh, soldiers that had been at the front lines in some, some fashion or another. And to come in and get everybody out of the barracks at 2 o'clock in the morning while they're sleeping, wake them up, get them out, and beat every one of them, just beat them to, uh, to satisfy their pleasure, and maybe kill one or two and just leave them away. If a private wanted to kill an American, it was not, It was just, okay, go ahead and do it. Colonel, the, uh, a lot of your... your um fellow soldiers back at that time, that, you know, some of the, the ones that are still alive, it's hard for them to even talk about it. Uh, some probably haven't talked about it at all, have they? That's right, exactly, yeah. What is that about uh, soldiers that, uh, I guess the only people that, uh, you know, can understand them is, is another soldier? Well, that's, that's very true. I, I have some, uh, I've been some help to some Iraq boys coming back to the suicidal it took me 30 years to, well, let me tell you what, the hatred helped me fight them. The hatred helped me survive and because I was determined to live to see, the, see if, they could, I, if I could be a witness to them getting what I thought they deserved. And when I got back in a quiet town and everything, uh, the hatred started turning against me in the form of nightmares. I had nightmares for 30 years. I was very stubborn. I couldn't, I, I, people talk to me about it, my pastor would talk to me, and i just say, look, you, you're whistling up Dixie, I'm not going to forgive them. I mean, I can't forgive them. Everybody says I'm justified in hating them, 
And if you didn't, if I got a conversation going with you pretty quick, I'd find out if you hated the Japanese. If you didn't, I wouldn't have anything to do with you. I just just wasted my time. So it came to a time that it was manifesting into my flesh, and I had to get rid of it. It took me two and a half years to divest myself of it once I made up my mind. But it was was tough to do, really tough. But if you was driving a Jap car, I hated you. And I'd, I'd, I'd pride myself in telling you. And, and after I did that, I'd say I'd make go back to my promise to God and, I, and my pastor, and I'd say, uh-uh, I, don't, I won't take that. Uh-uh, I'm not going to go there again. And then I would, under my breath, I'd say, but I'd like to come out there and kick you. <laughs> well, back in World War II, they called it shell shock, or just get over it, is what they said. But uh, PTSD is something that I think uh, the Vietnam era, I think, uh, brought that out to where we understand that a little more. That's right. That's exactly right. And they called it uh, battle fatigue when I came home. In the 45 and 46, up to the 50s, if you were seeing a psychiatrist, uh, you was nuts and nobody wanted to have anything to do with you. So I couldn't tell my family. what I, I had to stay away from my family. I couldn't. Even, I didn't have the pleasure of going to my mother and father's home, our home, and spending the night in fear I would have one of these nightmares. And they'd know what was going on. What kept you breathing with all of that uh, torture? And, and uh, you know, what, what kept, your, kept you breathing? Determination to live, to try to get even. It's not only about the Bataan Death March, but it's also about forgiveness. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. That's what, that's what we need to talk about, because so many people are carrying it. And there's so many people who don't understand what it's doing to them. Uh, it will consume your body, and it'll, it'll manifest into your flesh sooner or later. And uh, I, I talk about it all the time, and, and I know that the, when I really had it out of my system, how wonderful I felt. And the last words on my in my book is I said, I will never go back. I'll never, I'll never pick up hate again. Do you think you'd ever go back to the Philippines if you could? Well, I, I'm thinking about trying to go back this year. The one reason I haven't been back is malaria. Uh, just one mosquito bite, and I'll be back in the malaria tank again. And I didn't care about that. I didn't think it was important to go back. Right now, I would, wouldn't mind going back. And the fact of it is, uh, we are thinking about it, and we're not sure yet. Well, do you think if you were if you weren't 16, 17, uh, and, and lied about your being 21 at that time, uh, do you think you would have survived if you if you hadn't been that young? Well, I, th- I think the odds would be against me a lot more than they are. But let me tell you what happened on the Tarbus Road detail. That was the first detail after Camp O'Donnell. There was a guy by the name of Howard Leishman that was in the same outfit I was in. And he was laying dying. He, he knew he was going to die on the Tarbus Road detail. And he asked me, he asked the corpsman to get to me and bring him, bring me over to see him. And he wanted me to uh, to uh, uh, find his son that was born after he left the States and see that he was taken care of him. He's, he was concerned about uh, the boy's mother being able to take care of him and so forth. And he told me, he said, you're the only one that I know here that's going to go home. And he says, and I want you, it's so important that you promise me you'll find him. Now, that meant that... Uh, I had to have, I had to have my relationship with, with my maker. I mean, it helped me. It was a great uh, force, and 
inside of me. And I never saw a man uh, die, if he had any time at all, that he didn't revert back to family and God. And that tells you something. I mean, I don't care how mean he was before, if he was a drunk or he was whatever, he, they always did it. So that's that was a force that I, I mean, I listened to that and I felt that. And I think that that's a lot that helped me get through all of this is my faith. We're speaking with Colonel Glenn D. Fraser, Baton Death March survivor from World War II in the Philippines. Something that, uh, like you say, nobody really talked about it for almost half a century after that. That's right. It didn't. No. It wasn't, you couldn't find it, but very few that we even talked. With your 86 years of experience, you know, you read the news today about Iran and about uh, North Korea with a little sword uh, uh, rustling there a little bit. Uh, if we don't really listen to our history, we're bound to repeat it again. Uh, I think it's um, th- this. This is one thing that sort of gets me as to why we don't have uh, a better understanding about our our history, because you will repeat it if you don't watch. The Philippines Baton Death March. Colonel Glenn D. Frazier. I was honored to have spoken to him about a year ago. This is Memorial Day weekend.